0: First Timothy verse, chapter one one to four and three fourteen to fifteen, if you want to turn with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Saviour, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. And then 3:14 to 15 I hope to come to you soon but I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Okay. That's a lot, a lot of information, so... um, If you're visiting with us this morning, um, or you're someone who's relatively new, but you're still on that kind of figuring things out stage, uh, let me say you're very welcome again. Grace and peace to you, I literally mean that. Um, Grace and peace to you as you sit there, you're maybe a little uncomfortable, and there's a lot to take in, you're observing a lot. What does this church um, value? How how do they operate? Um, It's a little disorienting to, to navigate that, so grace and peace to you. And we hope you feel uh, welcome in our home. Um, It's a perfect time of year to to kind of be visiting. So um, if you've been around uh, Village for a little while, you'll know that every autumn we do a a three-week short series called Family Traits, where really the aim is to contextualize the local church. What what does it mean to be the local church in our context, primarily in East Belfast in the year 2023? Um, This year we're going to do things a little bit differently And instead of doing a three-week family trait series, we're going to extend that out uh, to 10 weeks, and we're going to make our way through 1 Timothy, which is a a pretty fairly short letter found near the end of the New Testament. Um, And with this study, we're going to actually back up all the way to the first century, um, where the, the church was just getting started um, hopefully, we'll still contextualize things and get a sense of what church in our context looks like. But really, 1 Timothy is, is, is answering the more foundational question, what does it mean to be the church, period? Um, 1 Timothy is a bit of a blueprint, if you will, for how to be a faithful church, um, which is really important to be concerned with. And there's, there's two kind of reasons why. Firstly, because the church is not our idea. Um, we've communicated a lot. There's a lot of things that we do here. Um, but the church is not our idea, the church is God's idea. Th- that may seem kind of obvious, but it's easy to, to lose sight of. Um, there's a lot of books you can read on, on church life, how to do church, there's conferences you can go to. We have our own planning meetings where we, we create and we uh, plan and, and, and extend vision and things like that. And um, it's easy to forget that the church is not ours to run. It's not our idea, it's God's idea. And the church's marching orders are given by Jesus himself. One, uh, Colossians 1.18 tells us that Jesus is the head of the church, right? So the, the way that we operate as a church is, is not based on our ideas, but rather the ideas that we receive um, in instruction from him. Which brings us to the second reason, which is that the church does not belong to us. Um, it belongs to Jesus. He has uh, founded it by his life, death, and resurrection. And, and since Pentecost, he continues to build it by his spirit um, this is one of the things we can easily get wrong, but not even for bad reasons. We love the church, right? We value the church. Um, but where we can go wrong is we tend to think that it's ours. Um, but that's not what the New Testament teaches. Rather, it teaches us that the church belongs to Jesus. As we said in the, the, the call to worship, it's his possession. He, he created it. He's building it. He is caring for it. And so what matters most is not the, the type of building that we meet in or how great our social media is, our images or the coffee Uh, that that we serve, or the worship experience. Um, Those things are good. Some things are are more important than others, but they're not what matter the most. What what matters the most is what the Lord of the church has said and that we are able to be faithful to him in the ways that he has given his church to operate and to live together. Um, Acts 20 said he has purchased and obtained the church by his own blood. He has has poured out his blood on the cross to, to, to make us his, He has given us his Holy Spirit to to build us up and to give us guidance, to sanctify us, and he's given us his word uh, to to tell us how to be his faithful church. And so that's what we're concerned with over the next 10 weeks primarily is is what does it look like to be the faithful church of Jesus? Um, Let me pray one more time and we'll take a closer look. Lord, we need you. In Isaiah 55, you say that for the, the... heavens are higher than the earth, your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Um, in one way, Lord, you are just unknowable, and yet you also come close to us, and you, you draw us close, and we can taste and see that you're good. We can know you, Lord. So um, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us a humility as we approach your word, um, letting go of our Desires and our wants, our preferences, and, and receiving from you. And um, we need your help even to, to do that, Lord. Um, Spirit, would you teach us this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this morning's gonna be a little bit different. Um, our, our usual way of teaching is we normally just kind of go through the Bible section by section, usually verse by verse. And that's what the rest of the series will, will be like. But this morning we're gonna, it's a little bit more of an introduction and kind of overview of 1 Timothy as, as a letter in the series. So I'm um, gonna do this in three parts. And um, firstly, I'm gonna start by trying to connect the dots with where we've been and where we're going with our teaching uh, in this. And um, secondly, we'll just kind of set the stage a little bit, tell you who wrote the book, who wrote the letter, who he wrote it to, and what's the occasion. And then we'll end by uh, kind of stating some reasons of why we should care about 1 Timothy, this ancient letter. Um, why we should care. So let me start by connecting the dots a little bit um, because we've been in the gospel of Luke um, and, and I just think the Lord's been working and he's been teaching us and, and building us up and showing us much of himself and what it means to be uh, his people. But now we're jumping to, to one Timothy. Um, but it's important to know that we're not just jumping to a, a whole new topic a whole new part of the, the Bible that has a whole new idea, a whole new topic. Um, we're kind of scratch this and kind of move on to here. That's not what's happening at all. The, the entire Bible um, was written over thousands of, of years, and it's all telling a single overarching story. The story is primarily about God, and secondarily about humanity. It's telling us who God is, and how humanity, humanity relates to him. The story ultimately centers on Jesus Christ, the Son of God who comes to earth to seek and save a sinful, lost, hopeless people who really want nothing to do with God, and he pursues them out of his love anyways. He goes to the cross to die on our behalf, paying the penalty for our sins. He's offering a way for us when we put our faith in him to be forgiven, to be redeemed, to be brought into uh, his family, to be brought into right relationship with him him again. Through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a way home, okay? We, we, We have a way back to the promised land, back to the place that we were originally created for, to be part of God's family, okay? That's, there you go, that's the Bible in, 30 seconds. Um, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke, and we've, we've said that that kind of middle section, that, that section where he, he turns his face to Jerusalem and they're journeying towards uh, the cross, really has this major theme of discipleship, right? It, it's, it's trying to answer this question, how do we live as followers of Jesus, right? If, if he has sought us out and, and saved us by his grace, how do we respond, how do we follow him as his disciples? Last week in Luke chapter 12, Jesus said he's he's trying to prepare his disciples for when he returns to earth a second time, when he will come to judge the world, and he says that he'll be be coming and he'll be looking for those who are are ready and waiting for him, Uh, those who are faithful stewards of his household while he's been away. And 1 Corinthians 4 verse 1, Paul says, one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, and that it's required that stewards be found faithful, Right? So, so that, that idea, that faithfulness, it's, a, it's an important character quality of God's true people. And you see that all through the Bible. And you see it all through the Old Testament. You can kind of get a Cliff Notes version of it in Hebrews 11. Uh, but through the Old Testament, you see Noah was faithful in building the ark despite public ridicule. Uh, Abraham demonstrated faithfulness in offering his son Isaac as a sacrifice to the Lord. Moses was faithful as he led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the wilderness. David was the faithful king who shepherded God's people. Ruth faithfully stayed with her mother-in-law, Naomi, after her husband died. Esther was faithful to her people. All Over and over again, all throughout, the story after story is uh, these the stories that extol the virtue of faithfulness, right? And, and so it's not surprising then that you get to the New Testament and Jesus says, when I return, I'm looking for disciples who are faithful. Which is why it's important then to answer that question. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? to be faithful? Uh, How how do you faithfully follow Jesus? And it turns out that you can't answer that question fully without fully understanding salvation. So what I mean is this, when I say, hey, Jesus has saved me, that there should be two questions that come into your mind. It's, well, what has he saved you from, and what has he saved you into? If Jesus has saved us, what does it mean in the full? What has he saved us out of, and what has he saved us into? The first part of that question is, is relatively easy to answer, right? He, he has saved me from death. He has saved me from, from sin and the result of sin, which is separation from God and, and death. That's what he saved us out of. And the, the most beautiful kind of ex, uh, description of this is in Ephesians 2. Where Paul says, you were dead in your sins and your trespasses. We all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. We are by nature children of wrath. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. With Christ, By grace you have been saved. Right? So, so that, that passage makes it clear what we've been saved out of, right? Death and sin and alienation from God. And we're now turning away from those old earthly desires. Why? Because he has saved us out of them. Amen? Isn't that great news? Hallelujah. Saved from death. Saved from alienation from God. But that's only half of an understanding of what salvation is. That, that, that's only what you've been saved out of. You must also understand what we've been saved into. And, and you get the, 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 the gist of that in the rest of Ephesians chapter 2. should not have time to look at fully this morning. But, but look at verse 13, which says, But now Christ Jesus, who... Uh, uh, who was once far off has, you've been, sorry, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So then, in verse 18, 19, so then, so this is the turning, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, right? So right there, that's the, what you've been saved out of, what you say have been into, verse You've been saved out of being strangers and 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 aliens, alienated from God, and into being fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. He he tells you what the household is. He says it's built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. You'll see that in Paul's uh, introduction. He says, here's how to be the church in 1 Timothy, and it's built on his teaching from Jesus. Built on the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What a beautiful thing we've been brought into, right? Family of God, a dwelling place for his Spirit. But, but if, you, if you only stop and, and, and focus on what you've been saved out of, sin and death, Salvation can become quite an individualistic thing. He saved me from my sin, and and now Jesus and I have a relationship and we're gonna walk together in holiness. That's true and and it's and it's beautiful, but it's only half truth. Because the Bible does not teach that God saves individuals to be spiritual orphans in the world, trying their hardest to remain faithful. No, the Bible clearly teaches that God saves you out of the lonely exile of your sin into his household. Notice Ephesians 2, it's nearly all plural. He's made us alive together with Christ. You're now fellow citizens. You're members of the household of God. Right? Jesus saves you into the family of God, and you're now called a son or a daughter of Christ, of God, along with the other sons and daughters, the, the family. You are saved into his church. Right? So that's a full understanding of, of salvation, it's a complete understanding what you've been saved out of, what you've been saved into. And it's only when we understand that that then you can begin to answer the question, what does it mean to follow Jesus? Right? What, what does it mean to be a faithful steward in his household? The, the, the answer to that question is really wrapped up in how do we be his church? Be, because you have not saved to be an individual Christian. You've been saved into a member of his household, a member of his church, all right, so do you see how it's kind of connecting the dots, how it's in what 1 Timothy is saying is really important. It tells us how to be found as faithful stewards of his household, a faithful church in a hostile world. And 1, Corinthians, or 1 Timothy 3.14, Paul kind of gives the reason he's writing. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God which is the church of the living God, a pillar in the buttress of the truth. Right? I, I'm writing to you to, to, to tell you how you are to behave, how you are to operate, how you are to conduct yourselves. Here's what a faithful church looks like. You see how 1 Timothy is connected with what we've been reading in the Gospel of Luke. Jesus is concerned that his followers be found faithful while he's away. 1 Timothy says, here's how to do it. Here's some vital instructions on how to be a faithful church, the household of God, so important, and that's why we're studying 1 Timothy after being in the Gospel of Luke. Um, let me kind of set the stage for a few minutes, though, um, which will hopefully <laughs> uh, Paul very often gives like a greeting and then he'll give like some thanksgiving and then he'll get into what Paul doesn't do that in 1 Timothy. He's like, here's I'm writing this quick greeting and then jump straight into like rebuking false teaching and stuff like that so let's let's understand who's writing who he's writing to and then we'll be able to dive deep in with uh with paul from the start next week and alan gets to do that um who's writing the letter who he's writing to what's the occasion let me just read those first two verses again um starts by saying paul the apostle of christ jesus by command of god our savior and of uh, and of christ jesus our hope to timothy my true child in the faith Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And then verse three kind of gives you more context. I've urged you while I was going to Macedonia to remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach different doctrine, devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, but to promote, specu- uh, which promotes speculation rather than stewardship, faithful stewardship from God that is by faith, okay? So the, the letter's written by the apostle Paul. Um, We'll say more about him in a minute. minute. And he's writing to his dear friend and and protege, Timothy. Um, Timothy, at this point, is is young. He's he's mid-30s, which is pretty young, right? Especially for the task that he's been given. Um, Timothy was saved during uh, one of Paul's missionary journeys in a place called Lystra. Um, You can read about that in the book of Acts. Um, Paul grew to really love this young convert, and he discipled him, and he brought him along on his church planting uh, journeys. And, and Timothy assisted Paul in a number of different ministry contexts. Uh, but the setting here is, is Timothy has been stationed by Paul in Ephesus to do the difficult work of combating false teaching and correcting the conduct of the church that has gone astray. Um, you, you really see these two broad themes repeating through Paul's letters, concern for false teaching and concern for proper conduct in the church. And you kind of get a structure in the screen here of of Paul's letter. He kind of goes back and forth. He dives straight into false teaching, and then he spends a couple of chapters talking about conduct in the church. And then he goes back into false teaching, and then conduct in the church, and then he ends with false teaching and encouragement at the end. Um, He's having to do this because the church in Ephesus is in a terrible way. Um, Every church throughout history has its own unique challenges and uh, specific kind of context of, of where they're doing ministry, and we have our own complex questions to address, right? Um, I, I doubt you'd find any pastor 50 years ago that, that would think, oh, you'd have to create a, think through a biblical view of artificial intelligence, right, and a biblical Christian view of gender reassignment. Um, every church has their own uh, issues to deal with in their context and history, including the church in Ephesus. Um, a little bit about Ephesus. It's a large first century church. This is about 60 years after Christ, and it was, this, it was diverse, it was religiously complex, and it's an economic hub. And right in the center of Ephesus was the Temple of Artemis, which was this stunning temple dedicated to the, the, the worship of a goddess, dedicated to fertility, sex, and nature. And, but this, this cult of Artemis, it was also wrapped up in the economics of Ephesus. Um, the, the Temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It, it, was, it was beautiful, it was stunning, it brought in a lot of tourism and trade. And so what you had is this, this practice of this cult and worship and this temple was kind of wrapped up with the things of the church. And you see how these things get tangled uh, through this letter. You, d- you see how they all have to deal with syncretism and the, the merging of devo- devotion to Jesus with cult worship and, and financial gain. It gets really messy. Timothy wasn't ministering in a Judeo-Christian culture that had Judeo-Christian values. This is a culture that was hostile to the worship of a one true God and was hostile to the, the upside-down way of Jesus' kingdom. There are many things that need to be challenged and corrected. And like I said, the main theme is dealing with false teachers. But, but their, their, their issue isn't false teachers from, from outside the church kind of chirping in. Their, their, their main issue is false teachers that have risen up from within their ranks. So back in Acts chapter 20, um, Acts 20 is about a decade before uh, 1 Timothy is written. And like I said, he was there and he gathered the, the elders in, of the church in Ephesus And he told them, Pay careful attention to yourself and all the flock in which the Holy Spirit made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. But then Paul said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Right. So Paul predicted what will happen. And here he is 10 years later writing to deal with exactly that issue. These these elders who have turned out to actually be wolves who have made a shipwreck of the faith, you see them being dealt with at the end of chapter 2, right? So so Paul's, he's writing to Timothy, he's telling him, he's telling us how the household of God ought to conduct themselves, right? We might have our own set of challenges in 2023, but the same dangers exist for us. So it's important to receive one Timothy with with humility and with, with ears to hear, and Hopefully that kind of sets the stage, gives us the context of the letter. The Apostle Paul writing to Timothy who has been tasked to, to lead and to correct the church in Ephesus. it has been led astray. They have to remain faithful, right? Because why? Because Christ is coming again and they must be found to be faithful, right? It's, it's, it's do or die time for Ephesus. And in many ways, it's, it's do or die time for us as well. So we must pay close attention to the letter. Let me end by just kind of quickly going through those first two verses again and answering the question, why should we care about 1 Timothy? Um, These two verses give us three reasons really why we should care. Um, It's really the the main goal of those greeting sections in in those letters, and especially Paul's letters that he writes to these churches and these leaders, um, opens with a little greeting. We tend to read these greetings like you do, like you're hearing like in safety instructions on an airplane, right? I've heard it all before, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, nothing sounds different, and we kind of get on to the the real bits, what's important. Um, These greetings are incredibly important because they tell you why you should care about the rest of the letter. Um, And they do just that. So the first reason we should care about 1 Timothy is because we live under authority. And as Christians, we live under the authority of God's word. And Paul gives the reason why we should listen closely right from the start. He says, because I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. So, so an apostle, it's a, it's a representative. Think of an, an apostle as an ambassador. Um, an ambassador is someone who's been sent to speak on behalf of a higher power. When, when in, like, say, the ambassador of the United States comes to our country, he's, he's coming as a representative of the President of the United States. He speaks on behalf of the president, and if, if you accept or reject the ambassador, that's, that's like accepting or rejecting the president himself. And that gives you an idea of what the capital A Apostle Paul is. He's, he's an ambassador of Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. He, he has all the teaching authority that that represents. His words here are to be treated as God's words. His instructions are to be considered as, as God's instructions. Paul didn't appoint himself to be an apostle. The, the, the church didn't appoint Paul to be an apostle. He was appointed by the command of God, the Father, and of Jesus, his Son. Right? He was chosen, called, appointed, equipped, and authorized directly by Christ himself. You can read about that in Acts chapter 9. It was by God's command that he was made an apostle. So we should listen. Right? We, we, should, we should hear his words here as authoritative. But notice that, that Paul himself was under authority. He's, he's under the command of God. He's under the command of, of Jesus. Which when you think about Paul's life, that's the only thing that really makes sense of his life. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul describes his life as an apostle, and it ain't pretty, okay? He says, he talks about his, his multiple imprisonments, about his countless beatings, often being near death. He said, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, without food, in cold and exposure. Like if you've asked yourself, why in the world would Paul endure such suffering? there's one answer to that question. It's because he was commanded by God and he was submitting to his authority. In Acts chapter nine, Jesus chooses Paul and he says, he is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. But Paul is is under authority to, to give God's instruction to his church and we are under authority to receive it. Paul says, I'm an apostle of Jesus You'll hear some people try to elevate Jesus' teaching over Paul's teaching, Jesus' words over Paul's words. But, but Jesus was chosen, Paul was, Paul was chosen by Jesus to be an, apost- to be an apostle. So, so when, when Paul writes to Timothy, he's, he's writing what Jesus says. He's, rep- he's representing Jesus as an ambassador. So we, when we sit under his letter, we're sitting under God's own word. Don't pit Jesus' teaching against Paul's. Because as Scripture, they are one and the same. They are God's word. We should care about 1 Timothy because we live under the authority of God's word. Here's the thing about authority is we don't really like it, right? Um, Adam and Eve, that was their downfall. They they weren't content to live under God's authority. They, they, They wanted their own way. They wanted freedom, which is ironic because that led them exactly to the opposite, to the bondage of sin. But the reality is that all of us live under authority. The question is, what is authoritative in your life? Maybe it's the, the tradition that you come from. That's, that's authoritative in your life. Maybe it's the, the cultural opinion, right? The, the popular opinion that's authoritative and you, you don't go against it. Maybe it's your political leanings. Maybe it's just your feelings. Your, your gut instinct is authoritative in your life, your personal preference. We all live under some kind of authority, but to become a Christian means to submit to the will of Jesus Christians pray, not my will, but yours be done. And we submit gladly because Christ has died for us, right? So, so the, the highest concern in the life of a Christian is to obey Jesus, right? We, we live under the authority of earthly kings and earthly governments and even earthly employers, but our highest authority is to king Jesus and what he says, right? And if anything in our lives contradicts what he commands, we must obey him rather than that, which just like for Paul would get him in trouble, Right? Just, just like for Paul, you might receive some, some side glances from our culture. But obedience to Jesus is everything. We should care about 1 Timothy because we live under the authority of God's word. The second reason we should care about 1 Timothy is because the church matters. Look again at chapter 3, 14 to 15. It's the central reason Paul is writing. I hope to come to you soon. But I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. That's a breathtaking description of the church, isn't it? What a beautiful thing the church of Jesus is. And here's the thing, is we must elevate our ideas of what the church is to that. It's really important. Let me say a word to the cynic, though. Okay, um, there's, that's a huge part of our cultural moment we're living now in, skepticism, deconstructionism. So, so maybe you are someone uh, whose view of the church is negative, negative. and maybe you're someone who's not a Christian, but you have someone in your life who is, and you just don't get it because your view of the church is negative, or maybe, maybe you are a believer, but you're dealing with some skepticism. You're maybe deconstructing things because of your view of the church is negative, right? because of scandals you've heard of, because of leaders who have fallen, things you've read on the internet. That's valid. I want you to know that, that we don't like that, view, that, vision, that, vision, that vision of the church either. But I encourage you, my friend Tony gave me this, he said, if you're going to reject Christ in the church, at least make sure you're rejecting Christ in the church. And, and not a poor representation of Christ in the church. Like, owe it to yourself at least to see what the church is supposed to be who the church is supposed to, 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 to be, and then decide whether or not you want to be part of it before you reject it altogether. And my hope, one of my hopes for this series is that this will help with that, 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 that you'll see that, that Jesus is concerned with bad leaders as well. He's concerned with the, the purity and the integrity of his church. He's also concerned with justice and caring for the most vulnerable in our midst, rather than greedy gain, right? He's, he's concerned that his church look and operate like a biblical God-honoring family because the church matters. That's why Paul is writing this letter. We need to elevate our ideas of the church to chapter 3, 14 to 15. It's the, it's the church of the living God. The church matters because God matters and God is alive. It's, it's the household of God. Church is a family, that, that's a theme that you'll see all throughout this letter and the rest of the Bible. That, that, that's actually a, a key to understanding and making sense to Paul's teaching in 1 Timothy. Okay, if you understand the, the church to be like a club, then 1 Timothy won't make much sense to you and it's going to be frustrating. If you think of the church as, as, a, as a business, then 1 Timothy won't make much sense to you and it'll become frustrating if you think of the church simply as an institutional governing structure, then 1 Timothy is not going to make sense to you, and it's going to become frustrating. The only way this letter will make sense at all is if you realize that the church is none of those things, but the church is a family. It's made up of fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, and we relate to each other in that familiar way. And Paul's emphasizing that nature of the church. It's the household of God in which we are to operate as a household, a, a healthy family does. We need to elevate our idea of the truth, that it's a, a pillar and a buttress of the truth, right? That's astounding, that, that the church is the place where the truth about God is communicated. That, that's why it matters, because the local church is God's primary way of revealing His truth to the world and expanding His kingdom across the globe, so one of the main themes throughout the letter is addressing false teaching. Paul jumps straight into that from verse three. From verse three. He's, this is a letter that's concerned that the, truth, that the church be proclaiming the truth because that's our assignment. We should care about 1 Timothy because the church matters, because it's the church of the living God, because it's the household of God, and because we are the pillar and the proclaimers of God's truth. This is what you were created for, Okay? You, you were made for community. Even the, my fellow extra, introverts in the room, right? God has created you to exist in, in relationship, in family, in community. This is one of the first things he said about Adam, right? It's not good that he's alone. The reality is we live in a culture that is very lonely, we are more and more privatized, our fences are higher, we're working from home. We're consumed with, with social media, which isn't social at all, right? It's incredibly lonely and incredibly inv- individualistic. Consumed with, with these things in our homes that, that make our, we're ignoring our families and our friends around us, our culture is so lonely, but God has given us something to solve the problem of our isolation and loneliness. He's given us his church. He's given us his very family. He's given us fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters. We need this family. But often we reject it, right? And and, and for many reasons. But one of the reasons some people reject this family is because it's not perfect. We we reject it because it's not great all the time, (laughs) Because people are awkward and offensive at times and frustrating and, and we bump into each other and we step on each other's toes at times. Someone once said, community is very often doing things you don't want to do with people you don't want to do them with. <laughs> Oftentimes, part of the reason people don't have a biblical community is because they have an idealized, idealistic vision of what community is supposed to be like. And that just isn't reality. In fact, idealism kills community. You must realize that we're all weird and screwed up, and, but we all need each other. So, so if you're only going to be part of community when the chemistry is right, like when, when there's never any tension if you're only looking for a place with people that you like and with people that don't annoy you, you'll never find that church because it doesn't exist. You'll never find that missional community. It doesn't exist. The biblical community is made up of messed up people. We're all a little twisted here, but we're all in need of grace. So this church will always open her doors to sinners because that's who you find on the inside. Messed up people relying on God's grace to heal us one day at a time. It's messy, but it's beautiful, right? Think about the ways that this imperfect, relying on God's grace community has served each other this week. All all the hidden ways that, that you might not know about supporting each other financially, counseling one another through difficult times, grieving with one another as we receive terrible news, praying for one another, sending encouraging messages. Watching each other's kids so that a tired parent can get out for a, a long, long due date. Inviting single people over to dinner so they're not eating alone. Holding each other accountable. Even teaching each other how to get fit. Caught <laughs> a couple of guys running together this, this week and it's the household of God. It's 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 a family. It's messy, but it's beautiful and it's what you're created for. So we need to elevate our understanding of what the church is to this. And when we do, then we will understand why Paul is writing, that we ought to know how one should uh, behave in the church and, and how we should conduct ourselves because the church matters. And lastly, we should care about 1 Timothy because we need hope. Because we need the hope of the gospel. Notice just in these two verses, he points to Christ Jesus three times. A, a majority of his greeting is, "Here's who God is." Right? There's a little bit about who's writing, a little bit about who he's writing to, but the most majority of it is, "Here's who Jesus is." And he says, "Christ Jesus is our hope." Do you need hope this morning? Timothy needed hope he's in a desperate situation, he's surrounded by wolves, he's tempted just to pack it in and, and go do something easy, why not? So he needed hope, he needed a reason to keep going, a reason to press on and remain faithful. And so right from the beginning, Paul is pointing him to God our Savior, there's hope, that, that you're, not, you're not far off enough to be saved your darkest, ugliest moments this week, they're not too dark or ugly for him to redeem. Our hope is not a feeling, it's a person. Jesus Christ is our hope, and Timothy needed that hope. He's, he's young, he's timid at times, it seems like he's sick. Jesus will be his hope. We need that hope. What hope Timothy must have felt when he heard Paul call him my true child, Isn't that so sweet? Hope of being brought into a family that that you don't have to go through life alone. Paul loved Timothy like his own child. You see that familial relationship of the church. I see that in some of you, and it's so beautiful, the way you love each other in a way that really only makes sense because you're brothers and sisters in Christ. I wonder how much Timothy needed to hear those words from Paul Because he's overburdened. He's surrounded by wolves. He needed hope that he's not alone. Hope of being part of something bigger. We should care about 1 Timothy because we need the hope of Jesus. And he's really who this letter is all about. And look at what comes from him. Grace, mercy, and peace. These, These are the resources that are available from God our Father. Notice... Verse two, God our Father, there's the family again. You've been brought in, you have a heavenly Father now, a perfect Father. You're His son or His daughter. And from Christ Jesus, our Lord, comes grace, mercy, and peace. Do you need those things in your life? I really do. In your anxieties, in, in the darkness, in the trials, don't you need his ongoing forgiveness and enabling? Don't you need his sympathy and his concern? Don't you need his tranquility and his stability? These are the resources available in him, and these, the, the riches of these resources are unlimited in Jesus, and they are experienced and released in God's household. This is why 1 Timothy Matters. You excited to dig in? I am. Um, Stand with me and we'll pray. Uh, Lord, we need you. We need your instruction. We need your guidance. We need a, a clear vision of who you are. Uh, we need that every day. We need brothers and sisters to, to remind us of that every day because we're so forgetful. We are wandering sheep. And so we need a shepherd and we need a family that, that shepherds us we thank you, Lord, that you've offered that to us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that, that you would give us, um, you'd heal us of our pain, you'd heal us of, um, I don't know, you'd, you'd guide us through the doubts, you'd guide us through the, the, the skepticism. We thank you that you do, that you're patient with us. Lord, would you give us a a, a grand vision of what you've saved us into, the the beauty of this messy family that that is pointing us to to you, Jesus? Would you show us, Lord, um, what it means to be part of this family in a real full sense? Um, It's not always easy, uh, but it's what you've called us to, and you've given us exactly what we need to do that your grace, your mercy, and your peace. And what hope we have in you, Jesus. We thank you for all you've done for us and all you
0: continue to do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.